On 1116 SEN, the Four Diego's. G'day everyone and welcome to the Four Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Rodrigo Rodriguez here on a Wednesday night. Thanks for joining us and thanks to Finey again as he makes his way out for another evening. And you can catch Finey again uh, tomorrow from 7. And also thanks to Milne and Jeff Poulter. And good to hear fabulous Phil Carmen as well uh, during Mark's show tonight. So... Uh, yeah, very, very good footballer. And Vinny Venezuela, you're in the house. In the house. Hello, Rodrigo. Hello, listeners. Yes, and uh, Warren, nice weather tonight. Well done. Congratulations. You're welcome. <laughs> and Carlos Alberto Diego, you're here. How are you, Rodrigo? Yeah, good to see I, you. I like it when you just bypass Warren like that. <laughs> no, no. Well, he's had his, he's had his moment. And get, by the way, Vinny Venezuela, yes. you're the handsome one. On the Diego's. Oh, my mum's We get a lot of people. You're the Johnny Aloisi <laughs> yes, yes. of the Four Diego's. Man with tan. Absolutely. Great hair. Um, <laughs> your photo with Alessandro Del Piero. Yes. When you just caught him. I don't know. You've got to tell us the story why, how you got that photo. We're saying it's the same doing, backpackers, well, uh, <laughs> Carlos. <laughs> it's doing the rounds on Facebook. And I've got aunties. Actually, my wife's got aunties from Seattle liking it. He doesn't even know Vinny Venezuela, but two very, very handsome men mm. in the same photo. And it was almost brotherly there, Vinny, the way you were hugging each other. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah. It was. It a bit Madame yeah. Tussauds, though, to me. Well, I, <laughs> I had the bottom bunk, he had the top bunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the middle, you're showing yeah. me. Anyway, we've got a big show tonight, gentlemen. Uh, we'll talk about the FFA Cup, of course, uh, with all of that happening uh, last night. Uh, Mike McGrath, a little bit later mm. on from the UK, we'll talk everything about... Uh, Big Sam Allardyce, of course, and uh, we'll bung one in then later on. And, um, <laughs> and in, in about uh, six or seven minutes' time, we've got Jackson Irvine yes. live from the UK, from Burton Albion, tonight, the Socceroo. Uh, Rodrigo, do you think Sam Allardyce should have known there was something going down when uh, there was a drone flying above him? <laughs> <laughs> He probably just yeah. thought it was pap, paparazzi. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I'm the England manager now. I've got a part-time job with, worth three million pounds. You know. We'll talk about this with Mike, but it just shows how endemic it is in the game that the England manager, who's getting well paid for a part-time job effectively, can still be sort of almost entrapped in this sting uh, and still give away all that information uh, without any thought that it could be some sort of you know um, thing that could be getting in, him into trouble later on. Uh, these people weren't well known to him. So... It just show it must be widespread, and I think they're talking now that there's eight former and and current English Premier League managers who might be embroiled in this too. I think you're pretty naive, Carlos. I mean, I've been called. <laughs> wow. up. I think I've been called up a lot of times by people I don't know. Because you look like Harry Redknapp. That's why <laughs> people I don't know claiming to offer me large amounts of money for giving them reasonably meaningless advice. Even people you do know. And even people I do know. Yeah. I think it's easy just to yeah. find yourself going along to these meetings and just being being afforded this privilege of going to speak to a few organisations in Asia for $700,000. I actually think Sam's just made an innocent mistake here. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, how's he fill his time? I mean... There's a cardboard cutout 
out of him going to most of the Premier League games just so he's looking at the talent. I oh, look I think it's really unfortunate for Big Sam and I hope he comes back in a He will in another capacity at some he, stage. People will forget uh, he's he's a lovable character. He won't become England manager again. He'll be a again, relegation team yeah, prospect. Absolutely. We'll absolutely. talk more about that uh, with Mike McGrath a little bit later on. And Look, it's 11 past 11. Let's get into the Q&A. Yes, tonight the Q&A. A little bit of Disco Inferno for you. Um, it's going to be mainly about the FFA Cup, of course. The uh, couple of matches last night rounding off the um, quarterfinals. And uh, Melbourne victory uh, did the job against Bentley Greens. But uh, you've got to say, Bentley Greens took it up to them uh, for a great deal of that game. And um, heartbreak for Green Gully uh, in Canberra with uh, Canberra Olympic uh, mm. winning it right at the death with a penalty. Uh, 1-0, of course. Uh, now, victory play City in yeah. the semi-final, which is going to be Can't fantastic. have too many derbies. No, you can't. can't no. Too many derbies is not enough. <laughs> and uh, Canberra take on Sydney. So it's going to be very interesting stuff. Congratulations to Canberra, you've got yeah. to say. Um, awesome stuff uh, from NPL team. And that's how you take a penalty, by the way. Oh, yeah. Smash it. But, smash correct it. me if I'm wrong, but that goalkeeper, Costantinou. Timber. He's actually scored more than... He's scored a couple of times during this cup run, hasn't he? Yes, yeah. He has. Penalties, yeah. And he's not, he's not one of your svelte... Goalkeepers, is he? No, no definitely it not. It was hilarious because um, the, the, not, not the Bentley Green, it was uh, the Green, Green Gully Keeper yeah. looked very little <laughs> in that <laughs> goal. Like and then when, when he thundered it at him, I thought, oh, you could break him here. <laughs> I actually thought the penalty spot was about four metres too close because yeah. he almost did put a hole through the back of the net. But, you know... Do you, you know what he did? Sorry, Warren. He, put, he seemed to put the ball right at the edge of the spot. I thought yeah. he, he gained about six oh, inches. Yeah. I wasn't happy about that. Yeah, yeah. No, they you, you know, you're allowed to do it. You're allowed yeah. to do it. Now nah, the ref rectified it a bit. Yeah. You got to say he pulled it back a bit. I, I got to say I didn't see the 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 reason for the penalty. Uh, was it was it a clear cut penalty? Was yeah, it controversial? Yeah, poor it was, old Roddy. He oh, was died. it Roddy? Yes, Roddy it was. Oh Roddy my Vargas. god! It was Roddy like, in the ninety second minute. It was almost like the last five seconds of the game. Look, he was unfortunate. He dived in, and the guy milked it. It's tan, one of the. It's one of those where he didn't need. To do it. No, he yeah, didn't need yeah. it. The guy was going nowhere. Yeah. Geez, Roddy, you're going to have to play another season now because you can't finish on that note. But yeah. I, I don't think we'll have time <laughs> for my rant tonight, but I will say one thing. I will say one thing about this. You know those, those preemptive strikers and even the coach of South Melbourne who I apologise to him for... Chris not, Taylor. Yeah, Chris Taylor. Any talk about preemptively having promotion relegation from these <laughs> MPL teams into the A-League, I mean... We watched the game last night. Bentley did a fantastic job of pretty much parking the bus, you know, to prevent victory from scoring. But the golf of class, unless you're going to have parachute payments like (laughs) championship teams get into the Premier League, unless you're going to have that, the golf in class is not going to make promotion relegation sustainable in the near future. Pluck is not enough. No, it's not. You can't be just plucky. Yeah, you've actually had more, and really in the first ten minutes or so of the game, I've got to say it was just one-way traffic, and it was almost embarrassing for Bentley Greens. But then, you know, they started getting a little bit of territory. They started putting a couple of tackles here and there. They started to actually be a bit combative mm. and getting a couple of shots on goal, which made it a bit competitive. But you're right. Um, what worries me, I think, we, we've got to get to the point where we actually um, have one of these teams that actually beat an A-League side, and go on and win a Two final. Two games. Yeah, yeah. you've got to win a final. Yeah. 
to get real, real credibility in the FFA Cup. I thought Bentley, particularly in the second half, they they were a bit pluckier and, and uh, they had uh, for for a while there they had Victory's number in that Victory were being very frustrated by yeah. them, but, uh, but not to, not to not to possibly no, win the game. You you always knew that the I think that Victory's experience and and their fitness was probably going to get them through, and then once they got the first goal, it it all yeah. sort of fell apart, fell to pieces a bit, but. Uh, in fairness to Bentley Greens, I thought they they were they did really really well, and it just goes to show the difference, uh, the gulf between the, the the two teams, a fully professional team versus yeah. the setup there. So anyway, uh, that's the FFA Cup done for Bentley Greens and Green Gully, and congratulations to both those clubs on getting this far and really you know putting a lot into the FFA Cup because uh, Victorian teams really have shown the way uh, since its inception. And also, uh, it's going to be fantastic to see Victory take on City and, of course, Canberra Olympic take on Sydney FC uh, in the other uh, semi-final. So it's going to be very interesting. Hey, boys, it's uh, quarter past 11. When I say hey, boys, it's the boys in the studio because I know there's a lot of female listeners yes, here to the Diego's. you really do love us because yes. we're ruggedly handsome. Absolutely. But Vinny is genuinely handsome. <laughs> I'm thinks Warren's quite cute, but um, anyway, <laughs> see, that's offensive. <laughs> you shouldn't be because you know that's not true. Because, well, no, no, it's offensive. Anyway, so look, boys, it's time to go to the UK mm. because we've got a very special guest waiting on the line. I'm going to get him in right now. A big Four Diego's welcome to Socceroo, Jackson Irvine. Welcome to the show, Jackson. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Nice to have you along. It's Rodrigo Rodriguez, Vinny Venezuela's here, Warren Diego, and Carlos Alberto Diego is here as well. Jackson, uh, this is Warren here. I want to get this out of the way. Pardon my ignorance regarding geography in in England itself. Can you tell me exactly where Burton Albion is, just for all our listeners out there? Because it might be in a big town that I'm not aware of. Just tell me where it is. Burton Albion, well, to be fair, I was a bit the same at the beginning, of it, but it's, if you had a map of England and you dropped the pin right in the centre, you'd be literally just about on Burton Albion. It sort of sits right in the heart of the Midlands. It's right near Birmingham, Derby, Stoke, you know, this sort of Midland area. So, so not far yeah, from Liverpool right and Manchester. Not far from Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool, Liverpool Chester's more like out on the West Coast, so that's about, that's a couple, maybe a couple of hours away. Okay. Uh, whereas the Midlands is sort of right in the centre of the country, yeah. So, Jackson, it's Carlos, mate. So, Jackson, Burton Albion's like the Frankston Pines of uh, the UK. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You can maybe feel like that. Maybe something like that, yeah. So, Jackson, uh, Vinny here, there's internet and stuff like that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it got here a few years ago. Because yeah, right. no, your mum wants to know why you haven't contacted, that's all. <laughs> oh, is that why? Oh, I'm not surprised, to be fair. She's on me all the time, so... Well, Jack... Jackson, I mean, seriously, Burton Albion are in the championship, so you're playing a good level of football and you're doing extremely well. How have you settled into uh, life in the championship? Yeah, it was um, obviously, it's tough, tough to take time to adjust, but I found that it, it's not taking me as long as I probably thought it would. Uh, the pace of the game is a lot higher than it was in Scotland and uh, the standard just generally. Uh, the teams and the, the general competition is, is a lot higher. So, you know, I've, I've settled relatively quickly, but uh, it is an adjustment period, not just for myself, but for sort of a lot of people involved with the football club because, you know, uh, after two consecutive promotions, it's, uh, you know, sort of a shock to, to be sort of playing, you know, against the likes of the, some of the clubs that we're coming up against after, you know, 
not so long ago having been a sort of a conference team. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting for everyone. And a lot of people are still finding their feet at this level. But, yeah, it's the sound is fantastic. And, you know, there's so many boys doing well, Australian lads in particular. So, it's, yeah, it's good to see. Jackson, it's Carlos again. Uh, tell us about your story, mate. Uh, you're one of those guys that didn't play senior football at the A-League level. I know you were at Victory for a while in the youth setup, but you didn't play senior football A-League before you went over there. And suddenly we find that this, this young talent, this young gun doing well, not only for Celtic uh, captaining their youth teams over there, but also for Ross County. You know, you were getting uh, you know player of the month in the SPL last year and now scoring goal at Burton Albion. You're starting to excite people here, mate. So tell us a little bit about the journey. I, I joked about Frankston Pines, but I know you're from that side of town, and uh, and uh, yeah. people would love to know how you got over to Celtic in the first place. Um, yeah, it's sort of a funny story. You know, it's funny how sort of the different, the sort of higher level I've, I've gone to. It's interesting to hear the, the sort of different paths that people have come down, where people have come through, you know, the sort of system of state league squads and getting into representative teams and then finding their way into A league setups and. You know, it happens differently for everyone. So myself, as I said, yeah, Frank Pines joke about it all I like, but I've got them to thank for everything that I've done in my career so far. Uh, you know, playing first team at State League One at sort of 15, 16, and my coach there, Tommy O'Halloran, at the time, um, I was coming over. My dad's Scottish. I was coming over on holiday to visit some family, and he said to me, uh, if you want, I've got a contact, and he can set up a trial for you for a few days. And I thought, oh, that'll be, you know, that'll be brilliant. Go and train with a professional club for a for a few days and next thing you know a few training sessions later they offered me a two-year contract and you know I never would have thought that that would have led to me being here it'll be seven years in December so it's you know it's funny how it works out sometimes but yeah I've been very very fortunate with everything I've done and you know that I don't underestimate you know of course hard work gets you somewhere but you need that little bit of break that that little bit of luck as well to, to get to that level so yeah I've been very lucky. Jackson, we always used to associate Scottish football as being really hard, uncompromising. You had to be a really physical player. I'm wondering, you, you said the championship was maybe even a step up from, from uh, Scottish Premier League. Tell us what the benefits of playing and, and growing up and learning the trade of professional football in Scotland. What are the advantages from your point of view in, in doing that? And, and how is it different than in the championship, I suppose? Yeah, it's sort of interesting. I was I was quite lucky. I, I sort of got to, to experience the best of both worlds. Uh, growing up at Celtic, um, in general, in Scottish football, we were we would dominate possession. You know, we, were, we would have you know seventy percent possession every, every every game, and and you know I sort of was lucky to learn that side of the game there. And then when I went out on loan to Kilmarnock, Ross County, I was involved in a couple of relegation battles uh, my first two seasons of first team football and. You know, that teaches you a completely different side to the game, you know, the more physical side, battling and, you know, in terms of just, just that sort of positional sense and these sorts of things. So I've been quite, I was quite lucky, but as I said, the championship, I would say, is even a step up again in pace and physicality and, you know, obviously the, the, the technical and level and everything is always higher as a higher level should go as well. But I was quite, um, you know, sort of surprised. You're right, because Scotland does have that reputation of being, you know, the, the fast and physical, which it definitely is. But I found that, uh, you know, I played in a game against Matsuongo's QPR last night. It was probably one of the most physical games I've ever played in, uh, you know, and battered and bruised today. So, you know, it's, it's great that you can play in, in all sorts of all sorts of games. And in every team in this league shows that there's more than one way to win a, win a football match. And, you know, it's interesting to come up against all those different styles. Jackson, Vinny here. I'm just wondering, given that you've been at a, at a few teams already, 
How, how do you go as a young player having to move on? Like psychologically, is, is, is it something that is hard to sort of adjust to and, and adapt to because you, you might be a little bit sad that you have to move on? How did you, how did you manage that? Uh, yeah, you know, it's the, the big moves are the hard ones. You know, I was, I was at Celtic for five years. I had my two loan spells. But, you know, that was always my sort of face. And, uh, you know, my mates that I grew up with in the youth team there, you know, a couple of them are, you know, two of my best friends. And we, you know, the, that sort of circle of, is, is quite, you know, you're very, you've become very attached to that. And then you find I moved up to Ross County, which is, you know, a few hours north. And together up there, we had an absolutely unbelievable team spirit and a team bond. We were extremely close and we had some great success last season. A lot of it due to that. And then, you know, the time comes and you, you have the chance to, to, to take a step forward and, in your career. And, you know, it is tough, you know, because you, you can get comfortable, you know, sort of being around your familiar surroundings. And that you've just got to sort of weigh up the, the options of, of, you know, the benefits of taking that next step. And, you know, it is, it's always a gamble as well, you know, because you don't know how it's going to work out for you. But fortunately, everything seems to be going pretty well so far. It's early days yet, but. You know, I'm really enjoying it down here, and uh, the adjustment period, as I said, has been been quite small, and the players here have helped me settle in really quickly. So yeah, yeah, it's been, it, it does help a lot when you when you have that sort of support network of of your teammates and, and at a new club as well. Now, can you clarify a rumor? Is it true that uh, you were told to cut off your ponytail at one point, <laughs> uh, and it because you refused to, you didn't get to play against Real Madrid? <laughs> Uh, that is a true story. Yeah, I must be the only player to miss out on playing against Real Madrid because of a haircut. <laughs> but that is that is a true story. Um, yeah, I was only uh, 18, 19. It was when I was sort of starting to crack into the uh, first-team squad at Celtic. And I played against Inter Milan in a friendly a couple of weeks earlier. And it was great. We had all these glamour friendlies in one of those, uh, you know, the tournaments that Victory have played in, these international cups and things. And uh, we were going over to America to play uh, Real Madrid and... I decided to give myself a little haircut, and it uh, wasn't wasn't too uh, well enjoyed by by the people at the club. And I got told to cut it, which, of course, I refused. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, that meant I didn't get to play against Real Madrid. But you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. And you know, <laughs> that's uh, uh, eventually uh, I grew. I did actually cut it off at the time, but I went out on loan for a season, which gave me a year to grow it back. So <laughs> it wasn't too much of an issue. You know, Sir Alex uh, threw the boot at David Beckham because of the hair, because he was protecting the hair. Don't do yeah, it again. Well, uh, Here on the forty. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hair, isn't it? I think uh, I think uh, that sort of old school mentality still sticks around in a fin of in a few people, particularly on this side of the world. So, mm. you know, maybe it'll go out eventually. I wonder if it was Cristiano said, "I need the best hair on the pitch." <laughs> um, here on the Four Diego's, we're speaking with uh, Socceroo Jackson Irvine. Jackson, it's Carlos again, mate. Uh, what's scary for me is that we could have lost you to Scotland. Uh, you're playing for the Socceroos. I see you as a, as a bloke who will grow into the Socceroos shirt and you'll be a 10-year Socceroo. Uh, but we could have lost you to Scotland as a... I think you've had a, maybe three games in their under-19s. Can you tell us mm-hmm. the, 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 the state of mind you were in at that time to actually even consider playing for them? And what sort of turned you around? Because obviously we grew up, the Diego's grew up being worried about some of our best players who, could, who had dual nationality because of their parents and where they came from. We lost a lot of those players. And, uh, and thankfully, I'm not sure what's happening now, but the, 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 more, the, the more current generation is deciding to play for Australia instead. So just tell us about that first selection for Scotland. You know, what was that? You know, how did that all come about? And secondly, what made you go and change your mind and play for Australia? 
Um, it was definitely not an easy decision. Uh, at that time, I was facing an issue that faced a lot of sort of my age group uh, moving across to Europe at that age. Jamie McLaren, um, Reese Cairo, who was at Aston Villa. There was a, there was about um, a lot of and a few a few others as well uh, with this under 18s moving overseas. Um, I signed for I signed my contract at Celtic April 2010, and I didn't play my first game until February 2011 because of the restrictions on um, I couldn't get my clearance. Um, so you know I was <laughs> it was quite frustrating at the time because obviously you know I was over there training and being involved and all I wanted to do was play games and. Uh, I was being told I couldn't because I, I wouldn't get um, my international clearance. And that was when sort of Scotland came knocking and they uh, uh, they had sort of seen me being involved with the Celtic youth team. And I, I have a very close Scottish connection, obviously. My dad's from there. I've been over a few times as a kid and, you know, lots of cousins. And, and obviously I was living in the country, playing in the country. And, um, you know, I just decided that it was going to be something I wanted, to, I wanted to do. And, you know, combined with the fact that I'd never been called up for Australia at any age group before that. Um, you know, so I jumped at the chance to play international football, and I really enjoyed it. But you know, I've, I've told a story before about my first game at the Under-19 Euros for Scotland, and the national anthem came on, and I didn't know the words, and <laughs> sort of knew at that moment that that was, uh, you know, as much as I'm very proud, and my Scotland shirt still hangs on my dad's wall at work, and you know, it was a great experience. But when the chance came to play for Australia, it was the only thing I was ever really wanted to do. I've been a Socceroos fan sort of all my life, and been going to games since I was, you know, seven years old. So uh, it's always been a dream, and you know, that's, it's, you know, the path isn't that. Sort of, I mean, it's not always so simple. Uh, it can it can sound simple um, to people, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and a lot of things that play a part in these decisions. But I'm not, you know, a lot of other lads have, have been through similar situations. But you know, at the end of the day, you sort of know where you where you're sort of meant to be. Jackson, it's probably fair to say that under the previous two Australian managers, they are overseas managers, they probably may have not known your name or may not have even looked at you. I'm just wondering how significant is it to have a manager like Ange Postacoglu who basically says, if you play anywhere and you're playing well, you can be considered for Socceroo call-up. And I think your example is typical of Maslalongo and other players that may never have been considered previously who are now considered if they're playing well as being guys that can play for the Socceroos. That must make a huge difference. It does. It gives you great um, sort of confidence in, in, that, in that sense in particular. But you're right, it gives you that belief that, you know, that it's not out of, out of sight and that sort of uh, out of reach. And uh, you're right, it's, 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 you know, with Ange, it's all about, as you said, it's about the games and, and the games you're playing. And if you're doing well, and, you know, you will be, you'll be rewarded. And it's not just about being rewarded individually, but, you know, Ange has a, the boss has a plan, you know, for what he wants from Australian football, from what he wants for the Socceroos. And, um, you know, more so than, you know, of course, it's a reward for your own individual performances, but it's about yourself stepping in to play a part for the Socceroos and being a part of what the sort of bigger picture, you know, in a sense. So, you know, the, well, once you've been a part a few times, as I've been lucky enough to, to have been over the last few months in particular, you know, you start to realise that, that, you know, of course you have your own individual targets, but it all falls in within the group and within what the sort of group is trying to achieve. And that group doesn't mean the 23 players that are selected. That group is, you know, a lot bigger than that. And, you know, everyone, you know, you become... Because, because as I said, it's, it, it is rewards for form and things. So you never know... You know when when you you know your call up will come or when it won't come, 
so you just want to be there, be a part, play your part the best you can, and, and sort of uh, make the most of the experience, but also contribute sort of in some way to, to what we're trying to achieve. Is the is the transition from professional footballer week to week in a championship team to playing for Australia is that a is that a seamless one, or is it? a little bit difficult at times to adjust to different styles, different expectations, both individually and maybe collectively as the teams are, are required to play based on what the manager wants to put in place? Yeah, of course. But, you know, we, we will never use that as an excuse. And, uh, you know, as, as I said, it is difficult. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot. You know, some of these countries we play against are in camp for two months before before these games. And, you know, we, we fly in on a Monday and we have a game on the Thursday. And the you know, boys are still recovering from games on the weekend. Guys have got long flights, and it is, you know, of course, it's difficult. But you know, all, all you can do is is deal with it to the best you can. We have the you know, amazing medical staff and people that you know are, are there to sort of try and make it as uh, as as you said as seamless as possible. But you know, of course, it has its challenges. But you know, that's that we'll never let that sort of affect us. We'll never use it as an excuse. You know, there's all the things about conditions and weather and everything. But these are just things that we have to deal with and. You know, we're always confident that, that we're able to they're going to be able to deal with them. Now, Jackson, uh, two Aussies over there at the moment are dominating. Well, we're getting messages through the media, obviously, that they're dominating their their club football in their club football at the moment. Tommy Rogic, obviously, at Celtic, and Aaron Moy at Huddersfield. Uh, you're there. You know, you're in amongst it. You're, you're living and breathing the game there, and you're reading all the media and seeing all the games all the time. Are they? Are they real stars at their clubs and in their competitions at the moment? And, and do you see them as EPL players, Premier League players, you know, within the next 12 to 24 months? Um, you know, in terms of their futures, I don't think that's, you know, sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> for me to sort of say whether or not they're, where they're good enough to sort of play at, that, at, at, at what, what level. But what I do know is that they are both pretty special talents. And um, it's not just them. There's a, there's a number of others in the squads and, you know, the two of them have been, yeah, as I said, doing really magnificently well for their clubs. Uh, you know, I'm still very much a, a Celtic fan, so I'm, I'll, I'll watch them most weeks. And, and Tom's been absolutely on, on fire at the moment. He's playing some ridiculous football. They've, under Bredger and Rodgers, they've stepped, they've stepped it up, um, you know, to a, to a different level for Scottish football. You know, over the last few, they just, they look like they're going to score six every week. And, you know, he's playing a massive part and creatively in that side. And, and with Aaron, you know, he's he's adapted so quickly into into English football. You know, the tempo, as I said, is so high. And you know, um, coming coming from the A League, where where he probably would have found himself having a lot more time on the ball to playing at this level, and he's and he's made that 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 transition seamless. And you know, even then, coming from your know, midfield perspective, of playing against Mass last night, and you know, he had a really great game, and he set up the goal absolutely unbelievable cross with the outside of his foot that set up their equaliser. So. You know, that's what I mean. The talent in the squads, you know, it's pretty ridiculous at the moment. It's it's great to see. And you know, in terms of their futures, I don't think there's anything that they they can't achieve. But you know, I think that you know a lot of emphasis is put on playing in the Premier League and playing in you know this and that. But you know, you see the the level of the Championship at the moment. Um, you know, guys are getting signed coming into this league from from the Liga and from um, you know top league in France and Italy and um, coming for millions and millions of pounds. The level of this league is is, is, is seriously, uh, you know, if there's teams in here that are more than capable of competing in the Premier League and the size of the clubs in that sense as well. So, yeah, you can, it is easy to put that emphasis on getting into the English Premier League and, and uh, in that sense, but in, in the same way, it's all about just 
continuing to develop and continue to keep playing. And, you know, they're, they're definitely doing that. Well, Jackson, you've been very, very generous with your time, mate. Uh, before we let you go, any message for mum and dad? I know they're listening. Well, your, your mum's retweeting our tweets uh, with tears in her eyes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no. I, I think she must be sick of hearing speed, to be honest. She, she does tune into just about everything, every interview I've ever done. So, you know, it'll probably just be another one to go in there. Another one to go in the, in the memory box. Excellent, mate. Well, hey, uh, good luck uh, with the Socceroos, of course, against Saudi Arabia and Japan. Uh, looking forward to seeing you back on home turf on the 11th of October. Yeah, great. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for your time there, Jackson. Uh, enjoy your football, as you always do. There's uh, Jackson Irvine, young Socceroo, and um, really good to listen to. What an impressive young man. Very impressive. Thought, I see captain material well, uh, in the next, uh, you know, next little bit going forward. Let's take a break now and come back with more of the Diegos on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Argentina's biggest and best supported club, Boca Juniors, were founded in 1905 by an Irishman named Patrick McCarthy and a group of Italian immigrants. The founding members, unable to decide what colours to play in, chose to adopt the national colours of the next ship to sail up the River Plate. The boat was Swedish, hence Boca's strip of blue and yellow. This has been a useless trivia moment by the Four Diegos. On 1116 SEN, the Four Diegos. My, how time flies when you're having fun here on the Diegos. Thanks for Speak joining for us yourself, Rodrigo. tonight. Uh, <laughs> hey, let's quickly go because, uh, as I said, time's flying. Mike McGrath from The Sun in the UK is uh, on the line. G'day, Mike. Welcome to the Diegos. Hi, thanks for having me on. You are a Diego, Mike. It's Rodrigo, yeah, Vinny, Warren and uh, Carlos. Uh, Warren wants to ask the first question. Mike, congratulations on being appointed the interim manager of England. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really good promotion for you from... Uh, somebody's got to do yeah, it. Yeah, somebody's got to... Now, Mike, in all honesty, stupidity comes in all forms. But this type of stupidity from the English manager, i just got to ask you one simple question. What was he thinking well, um, unfortunately, he's just kind of, you know, he, he's been done over by his own greed, really. And he should have been just concentrating on the on the job in hand. Um, he should have been man-marked by the FA as well. But unfortunately, he's um, he's attended a meeting where he's been offered, you know, he's been offered the chance to make some money, and it, you know, and from that, his position was just untenable. So, unfortunately, it probably was quite clear thinking about um, any any sort of. Mike, you there? I think we've uh, just just lost Mike because we know that he's on his way to the UEFA Champions League game between uh, Celtic and Manchester City. So he's probably on a train. We've had Mike on a train a lot yeah. on the show over the years. Yeah, and he sounds like he's in the toilet of the train he, he too. Did, he did, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly said that. But, yeah. uh, well, we got him at the flush. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and you know, maybe... Created maybe interference. We, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so no, seriously, it, it's this, a bigger story. It's, it's a huge. bigger story, and uh, we hope we're going to get Mike back before we knock off tonight because I really want to hear his point of view, uh, and also how the journeys get around, get about, uh, you know, with these stings. You know, uh, they're obviously some of the best people in the world. We've got Mike back. Not yet. No. Okay. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> Let the, me deal with that. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The UK, the UK journos are probably the best in the world in uh, in, in, in entrapment. Yeah. <laughs> but the entrapment comes. I heard Sam Allardyce saying mm. he he went to this meeting as a favour to a friend that he's known for 30 years. Now, 
I don't think he mentioned the name. I don't know whether it's yeah. well publicised. But so the entrapment goes beyond, you know, four or five journalists getting together and saying, let's set this up. Because Sam has some form in this area. He's been associated with these type of dealings in the past. And I think he was actually may have been found guilty. No, he wasn't found what? guilty. He was uh, he was uh, associated yep. with some of the bungs of the you know some of the yep. culture of bungs in the past, but never found guilty. Yeah, so you wonder what the motivation of the friend was. Like, was that friend legitimately wooed by these people and and got at as well? Because I don't know. So did the friend sell his other friend out? Yes. Like, I, is I, that what you're saying, yeah, Warren? Maybe I, I'm not sure, but. In the end, there's a simple principle. Don't go to a meeting with people you don't know. That's what I'd say. My principle is you do body searches. <laughs> what worry, like, As I said at the top of the show, what worries me is that for him, the English manager, the guy who's had a lot of experience over, over many decades, uh, he's been around the block, he's dealt with uh, transfers, he's dealt with all this sort of culture over time. But uh, what worries me is that uh, he still felt that he could go into a meeting and talk freely with people he didn't even know. Hey, we've got Mike back. And, uh, Mike, you there? Yes, I'm here, yeah. Oh, well, you, you're in a tunnel. We thought it was the flush. So um, <laughs> we're not going to have much time with you, yeah. but, uh, but Carlos. But, Mike, I just wanted to ask you about the sting, right? I mean, England aren't going to win a World Cup, but your journos are the best in the world. If there was a World Cup for entrapment and, uh, and stings, uh, English journos could do that. They must have had some inkling that this was a huge, huge issue in English football for them to do what they have. Apparently, the Daily Telegraph um, investigation has gone on for months, and they've got a lot of lot more information I'll release later on down the track. Yeah, I mean, we're quite we're very, very proud of what we do here in terms of journalism. I've got to say, this thing is not my cup of tea, really, but it is what we do well. And obviously, how they work is that they hear they hear something and they act on it and in this in this case they've heard that big sam likes a pound note and they've gone after him um so in some ways you can say yeah it isn't my cup of tea it isn't exactly um the journalism that everybody likes but also they've asked that question and he has answered it in the way that that has meant he's lost his job so what what does that leave where does that leave him now mike Reality TV show? What's he going to do? <laughs> Look, his, his reputation ethically is in tatters. Um, you know, he, he's he's now he's now going to be known as the manager who lasted 67 days in in the biggest job ever. But um, I think come Christmas, when uh, clubs are struggling down the, the Premier League, be it Sunderland or if West Brom or somebody makes a change, he's going to be up there um, among the contenders because he knows his way around a relegation battle kind of just as well as he knows his way around a business meeting about money. <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, you know what? We're going to have to let you go now, but you're on your way to uh, the Champions League game between Celtic and Man City. Um, Say hello to Tommy Rogic for us, mate. Yes, will do. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, I've just got a short flight up. Um, and it's, yeah, it should be it should be a really good game. Well, hopefully we talk to you next week, there, Mike. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay safe and uh, look forward to talking to you next next week. Okay, cheers, guys. Speak to you soon. There's Mike McGrath from the Sun in the UK. Let's take a break and come back with a little more of the Diego's on eleven sixteen SEN Melbourne's home of sport.
1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of footy, Chasing Birdies with Mark Allen and Craig Spence. Now, Craig, you're getting some feedback off the SMS for your idea, which wasn't very good. Uh, Craig wants the FedEx Cup scoring to be the same as soccer. We know who that is. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, Mark from North Bourne, five ball would take seven hours for the round. How do you reckon that'd go? They'd be on the clock. They'd imagine be on that. the clock. Imagine that your only group out there are on the <laughs> clock. <laughs> that'd be classic. Uh, uh, well, we could we could make it two twos in a single, like Kevin Nark. Kevin Nark. No, Kevin Nark's banned from this competition. <laughs> he cannot play. There's a few be banned. He rad. Have you ever played in a single first group out? No, never have. Always did you? wanted to though. No, I always thought because I always you, I you're offered the once. marker. If I, I would yeah. never want the marker. No, go away. Not like I'm only no, just, just made the cut, and I don't want anyone there that I have to talk to if I don't have to. It would be like a, it'd be just yapping your ear off the whole way around too. How about the bloke if it's an odd number who make the cut at Augusta? One of the members. I've seen him play. Plays same guy. He shoots like 73 every year. Yeah. He can go. Very good player. Yeah, he's a very, he very, knows very good player. I watched him um, hit a shot into the second green from over on the third there. And what happened? Skinnied it across the green. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty average, actually. <laughs> he was playing with Bubba. What did he shoot that day? I think he actually did play all right. So you don't like that idea? Is there any... any no, I don't any... like any aspect of your idea. You don't like... What's wrong with the World Super Six that's happening in Perth? That's a good idea. Well, that's a great idea. Yeah, I that, love it. Because, I, that's going to work. But I think this would work. I think that they should. <laughs> it's look. I've got to. I've got to look into the finer details. But you could start with thirty. Go to twenty, ten, five. Yeah. One group. No, two groups. You need more players. Just thirty blokes turn up. All right. Maybe you got eight or ten the last day. I think but you need not, to keep working away at this, mate. But the the main thing I is that they, they they start from the same point. Hey, All right. Benny Jackson got back to me, the one who told me uh, us about Billy Glasson. He wasn't a Walker Cup player, but he did play for England. Not great bit in an island. He's a good man, Benny. Yeah, he's a good man. And they're nice grips. Hey, buddy, thanks for coming in. What are they called? Grip Master. Grip Master. Yep. Follow the grips. Yeah, ask for Ben. Ask for Benny. Uh, Benny Jackson. He'll look after you. Hey, uh, coming up, Mark Fine and Finey, thank you so much for letting us talk golf on your show.